One extra minute. Thanks, Jalice. Um, I did ask Nicole, for all the mamas who have babies in the nursery, um, she's going to bring your children here to you at 11. So you don't have to leave, and she will come and bring your babies, and you don't have to miss anything. And it actually helps her because she's like, ooh, then I can for sure leave here on time. And it's a win-win. Hopefully. Hopefully it's a win-win. And if you... uh, if you see, uh, I, mean, we're, I think we can all kind of be moms in here, you know, whether you're a mom or not. And if you see a kid about to stick his fingers or her fingers into a plug, just, you know, like, do the mom thing and say, oh, no, no, come this way, you know. Let's all be eyes and ears for each other. Okay. Um, External display. Can you hit the Apple TV button? Did you already do that? Ooh, there we go. Okay, good morning. We made it. I thought, I mean, I feel like it's halfway. Are we halfway? Yeah, we're halfway. Woo, give yourself a pat, a pat on the back. You did it. You're halfway. And I hope that it's been a really eye-opening journey for you um, into what I think is the most intimate, revered, and holy structure in all of, for sure, Israel's history, but I think also, I mean, I would just say in history, period, until Jesus came. Um, So I hope you've been enjoying it. I'm going to start us off by reading um, three different pieces of scripture from the New Testament, the first one being from the Gospel of John, Jennifer's favorite Apostle from the Gospel of John, and then Matthew, and in First Peter. And as I do this, I just want you to—you um, don't have to follow. You don't have to read in your Bible. Uh, I don't have the the scripture up there. Just let the words kind of bathe over you. And then after I do that, we're going to spend the rest of our time exploring some hidden secrets of the lampstand, which are really not hidden because they've been in scripture the whole time. It's just maybe we, like me, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover, and then when I get to like all the and there's laughter because I know I'm not the only one, right? You get to all the things in Leviticus and you're like, why? I don't want to know this. And then you skip over and you jump into like numbers or something. And so it's been there the whole time, ladies. We're going to discover the hidden secrets of the lampstand. Okay, so I'm going to start with John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. God sent a man John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And if you read the whole thing, you know he's talking about Jesus. The next one is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. And he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The last one is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This was the first verse we looked at this week in the study. You are the ones chosen by God. 
chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm going to pray real quick one more time. Father, I thank you for um, this time, uh, and I ask just for your spirit to, to do the thing, Lord, to do the work. Um, I pray that every single person, and even the ones who are homesick, um, that you would shine your light and your face upon each one of these ladies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to show you, thank you, free Bible images. I don't know if this is actually what the um, lampstand looked like, but it was the most up-close one that I could find. I'm going to read to you Exodus 25, verse 31. And as I do, just picture it as I uh, read to you how the lampstand was to be constructed. Verse 31. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, and the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Now, it's important that we point out here, uh, the lampstand was not a candle opera. Is that what you call a candle opera? Like, you're not putting wax candles into this thing, that, and the candle melts down. It is a lamp that is fueled by oil so that it can constantly burn. There is no, like, running out of um, fuel. Now, in the, um, in the teaching here, Beth Moore, she starts us off with um, drawing us back into, like, she wants to focus on the lampstand for the teaching. And the lampstand itself is supposed to be, yet again, an echo of Eden. So that's our first fill-in-the-blank here. It's an echo of Eden. And what we see throughout Scripture is that God points back. From the beginning of Genesis, he talks about Eden. If you go to the end of Revelation, there's this picture of Eden once again. And... Um, so we hear this echo throughout scripture. And it's because God's heart longs for us to be back with him in paradise. And so then she has us comparing Exodus 25, verse 40 to Numbers 8, 1 through 4. For the sake of time, we don't have, I, I can't read the whole thing. I'm adding a third one from Hebrews because she pulls from that as well. And the whole point of it is just to show you that from 
Exodus to Numbers to Hebrews, you see the same wording, which is according to the pattern I've shown you, according to the pattern, according to the pattern. And the author of Hebrews points out that this pattern is a heavenly pattern. It's supposed to be a copy and shadow of heavenly things. And so the structure going back to um, this lampstand, it's um, a structure that's similar to a tree with uh, branches and buds and blossoms. And remember, Eden was the original design that God illustrated to show us how he desires to fellowship with us. He wants to walk with us and talk with us forever, like two real good buddies just hanging out all the time and never getting sick of each other and never getting annoyed and irritated with each other. Like he just wants to be in fellowship all the time. God, made, God gave Moses the pattern for something heavenly, a replica of paradise, if you will, to reestablish this temporary garden-like meeting place. Beth Moore quotes a theologian, Vern S. Poitras. Um, he's still alive, and he is the chairperson for the ESV New Testament Bible version. And he said this about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a renewed version of the Garden of Eden. The tabernacle is a renewed version of the Garden of Eden. This is your fill-in-the-blank for part number one, continuing. But curtains with cherubim, cherubim? on them still bar the way into God's presence. Just as cherubim barred the way into the original Garden of Eden after the fall. So now in our books, they left out the words God's presence. So you need to write that in. So it says, curtains with cherubim on them still bar the way into, and then you see there kind of like there's a comma on the next line. So you need to write in God's presence. Okay, so remember we did this in the study that on the linens, there were cherubim that were like embroidered or sewn into the linen curtains, and that's to signify that there were angels still guarding the entrance into the tabernacle, into paradise, just as God put angels on the outside of Eden when he told Adam and Eve to leave. In uh, the next point... Um, the purpose of the lampstand was to provide light inside uh, the tabernacle. It was the only thing that gave light inside the structure. Now, remember there was goat skin and ram skin, so they're like, you're talking leather covering this tent. It was dark in there. And so the purpose of the lampstand was to provide light. So why was God so specific about the branches, the buds, and the blossoms on this lampstand? Right? If... They have no functional purpose. Why did God put branches, buds, and blossoms, or instruct Moses to do that? There really is no practical use, but it de demonstrates to us that um, there is this idea that the lampstand is supposed to resemble something like a tree. And um, quoting from, from Poitras again, he said that it is a message about time. The branches, buds, and blossoms is a message about time, this familiar cycle of growth in plants. There's springtime, there's summer, and there's harvesting. And he goes on to say, this strange tree has buds, blossoms, almond flowers, and fruit all at once because it must be a static, like you're taking a, a quick picture and you're holding time for a second. It's a static picture of the whole cycle of time that God has created and sustains. 
Now, we read from um, number 17 during our study this week, and it was a story about um, God instructing Moses to tell the 12 leaders of each tribe to put a staff inside the tent of meeting, and God would determine who was the one that he would choose to be the, I guess, high priest or the one that would meet with him, right? And what did he say? He said that the person I choose, their staff, would be the one that would sprout um, buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds all overnight. All overnight. And so what this shows us is that God has created time, and the branches, buds, and blossoms are a reminder to us that he still controls time, and he sustains time. We are the impatient ones. Right? We want instant results. We want instant harvest. I don't want to wait six months to pull my radishes. I want to go to the grocery store now and get my radishes. Right? We want instant things. We want instant rewards. But the timing of the harvest doesn't depend on us, and it doesn't even depend on how hard we work. It depends on how hard we are clinging on to God. Another verse that we took a look at this week was John 15. John 15, verse 5. It says, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking, right? God the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What this tells us is that abiding in God will bear fruit, but it doesn't say when, but it just says that we will. And Jesus continues on in verse 8 and says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Beth defines the word glory as something that nobody else but God can do, an action that cannot be done by human hands. Bearing fruit is not up to us, but clinging to God's word is up to us. We're going to come back to that at the end. Okay, so now we have to ask ourselves, point number three, what is the significance of the almond flowers? Why almonds? Why not figs? Why not pomegranates? Why not other fruit that were in the area at the time? Why almonds? To understand that, we have to go to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The Hebrew word for almond is related to the word watch. The Lord was doing a play on words here. Jeremiah, a Hebrew man, would have understood God using the almond fruit as like a, is metaphor the right word? A metaphor for watching his word being completed. So it would be like a forklift company using a bear as its logo to say, our forklifts can bear much weight, right? He's doing a play on words. I think the English term is a homophone. Oh, thank you, Jessica, yeah, teacher. Um, so it's basically similar sounding word, different meaning, okay? The word almond in Hebrew is pronounced shockade. And the Hebrew word for watch is pronounced shakad, very similar. According to the JPS Torah commentary, I don't know who that is, but Beth Moore does. According to this commentary on Exodus, the stem, S-H-Q-D, means to be watchful, wakeful, and vigilant. 
So God instructed Moses to place almond flowers throughout the branches of the lampstand because he would be watching vigilantly over his word to perform it. And not only that, but the almond flower or the almond tree is, to be, is known to be one of the earliest flower producing or budding plants. Sometimes budding or, or flowering, not even budding, but flowering as early as late February. Now, California is the number one almond producer in the whole world. 80% of the almonds comes from us. Whoop, whoop. And if you ever drive down the five, which is a super boring stretch, right? Just straight and like, I'm going to fall asleep because I'm, my, my, I'm getting narrow vision, tunnel vision. And, but if you go in February, you'll see the whole entire valley covered in pink flowers. It's beautiful. Anyway, that was a side. <laughs> just travel down the five for no reason in February. Um, the New English Bible translates Jeremiah 1.12 in this way. I am early on my watch to carry out my purpose. God is always on the move, ladies. He's doing work behind the scenes that we have no clue of, right? For all we know, the work that he did in our parents could be the budding of what's happening in our lives. God's doing so much behind the scenes. We have no clue what he's doing, but he's early. He's early on his watch that his word would come to fruition. Okay, so moving on to point number four. Um, this is where I feel like, as I was prepping for it, this is where it really hammers in what I hope that you will take away. But in order to do that, I really need all mental capacity right here, okay? Because what she's doing next is she's gonna combine, she's gonna continue on with this combined imagery of the lampstand and the tree. And she does this using three different prophetic visions, which already I know some of you are like, prophetic vision, I'm out. No, don't leave me, okay? I need you here with me as we continue. Um, so she's gonna compare three different prophetic visions and they all represent something that has already happened something from the Old Testament, something that will happen, it has not happened yet, and something that is currently happening right now, we are living in it, okay? So, <clears throat> stretch, do what you gotta do, all attention, all up here, okay? Not on me, but just, you know what I'm saying, okay. <laughs> so the first one she has here, now compare Zechariah 4, 1 through 14, Revelation 11, one through four. We're not going to have time to read through the whole thing, so I'm just going to highlight bits and pieces of it. Ladies, I, I share this with our group. Christy, Priscilla, and I, we will usually message each other on a Sunday or a Wednesday, like, how can I pray for you? How's the message going? And, then, and the one thing we always say is, just trying to figure out what to cut out. Just trying to figure out what to cut out. You are getting like one thirty-tooth. Thirty-second? Okay. What? <laughs> You're getting like a tiny itty bitty of what we all want to tell you, right? We're taking a one hour video from Beth Moore and we're cutting out all of her life stories and we're like trying to squeeze in into 30 minutes. I'm already taking 30 seconds to explain to you. My point is please read this stuff on your own because you will get big chunks, big chunks of a bigger picture, okay? So for today, all I have is, um, okay, we're going to take a couple verses from Zechariah. Zechariah is in the Old Testament. It is a, um, he is a prophet during the time of ex uh, Israel's exile. So their first temple that David 
like told, or he gathered all the materials, his son Solomon built the first temple, the Babylonians destroyed that temple, and now we are in a time period where they are trying to rebuild this second temple. Zechariah is the prophet that is going to send the message out um, to the re- for the rebuilding of the second temple. And so here we are in verse 2, and the angel is speaking to Zechariah, and he says, um, and he said to me, what do you see? I, Zechariah, he said, I see, I said, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the, bowl, around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. And then he goes on to ask for clarity. What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? I love, if you ever get a picture of the, from the Lord, you say, Lord, what is this? Give me understanding and clarity. And so in verse 14, the angel gives him clarity and says, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, so again, this is something that has already happened. Now, a couple commentaries say that the two anointed ones are Joshua the high priest, not to be confused with Joshua the son of Nun, who was with Moses. This is a different Joshua we're talking about. Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel. If you read the whole thing, you'll see the name Zerubbabel. He is like Bezalel. He's the one that's going to lead the charge to rebuild the second temple. So these two people are God's anointed ones who are going to be witnesses to the whole area during a time of oppression. Two witnesses during a time of oppression. Next vision is from Revelation 11. This is um, John, the Apostle John, Jennifer's favorite apostle, He is receiving visions from God. Now, this is something that hasn't happened yet. If you read all of chapter 11, you will know, oh, yeah, there has not been fire coming out of the sky, Um, I think. But it didn't happen yet, okay? This hasn't happened yet. Now, basically what's happening is um, John has this vision of being, like, given a reed to measure. And And Jesus, I think, is the one who was giving this vision. He's like, measure my temple, but don't measure the outer court, and there's a whole explanation that in verse, starting verse 3, and he says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, sackcloth represents repentance. And so in this time, whenever this happens, um, God is going to send two witnesses, once again, to proclaim a message of repentance as the outer courts of his temple look like they're being trampled on. And then in verse 4, it explains that these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. So again, olive trees, lampstand, two witnesses during a time of oppression. Okay, so here we are in Revelation chapter 1. Um, many scholars believe we are living in this time currently now. So in the very beginning of Revelation, John had a picture of um, like these seven churches And it starts off here in verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Uh, Then I I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And then jumping down to verse 20, um, Jesus is giving clarity and explaining what the vision is. And he said, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, at the time, there were only seven, I guess, regions in the area that had prop, like popped up seven churches. 
And uh, we are still living in the time of these seven churches. churches, okay? So we are still, just like John the Apostle and all the other apostles at the time that were alive, they're still waiting for Jesus' second coming. We are still waiting for Jesus' second coming. We are still building his church and still doing the command that Jesus gave of go and make disciples, right? And so we are still living in that time. But the, the key thing here is that just like the other two, there were two witnesses during a time of oppression. God is asking us, asking us to be witnesses during a time of oppression among his church as well. We, ladies, are the present-day witnesses of the Lord. We are the light of the world. And if you remember the um, verses I read at the beginning, if you've encountered Jesus, the one true light, and you've confessed your need for his salvation, he has placed his light now in you. We're instructed to testify about him to other people, not always with words, but definitely by a light that is supposed to shine within us. And the Spirit, as we learn, the Holy Spirit is the oil that is continuously feeding that flame. But we need to press into the Holy Spirit to receive this constant supply of oil, spiritual oil, if we want that flame burning in the dark world that we live in. Earlier today, this morning in prayer, I was like thinking, I was telling the ladies, I was thinking about what I think Christy shared last week um, about, you know, the angels, they sing glory, 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 you know, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And I remember sitting there thinking, it is? I mean, I know it is, but where is it? Like, what are the angels seeing that I'm not seeing? And Priscilla was like, well, there's just so much darkness in this world. And it was like, oh, that's the message today. Like, we are the light to shine the darkness away so that we can see his glory. <sighs> so good. And remember, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are called as a royal priesthood. We are the priestesses, right, of Jesus' kingdom now. So what were the priests supposed to do with the lampstand? Last point. In Leviticus 24.4, it says, Aaron and the priests must tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. We, us, the priests now of God's kingdom, must tend to the lampstand continually. We are exhorted, strongly urged to tend to the lampstand. Why? Because Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The good works that people see, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what, God, it's what John wrote about in his gospel. Where does the fruit come from? John 15, 5, he said, abide, he who abides in God, and God in him will bear much fruit. And so the question is, okay, well, how do I abide in God? So I'm going to end this a whole lot better than I did last time. And I'm going to end it with a story from 1 Kings 19. It's a story of prophet Elijah. And at this point, he had done incredible, called upon the name of the Lord, and incredible miracles have happened, right, in the name of God. He, the, God demonstrated his power over 
Baal, Baal, I don't know how you ever you pronounce it, but the queen at the time was Jezebel. She was she was the one that wanted all of Israel to worship Baal, and um, she was furious that Elijah called upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord demonstrated his power over their false god, and so she was like out to get him. She was out to get Elijah. So here we are in chapter 19 of uh, 1 Kings, and it says that Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He was afraid of Jezebel. She had already killed all of God's other prophets, and so he was like, oh. Oh, my life. So he was afraid and fled for his life. He went to uh, Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he, let, he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Essentially, I'm good as dead, God. Just take my life. What Jezebel is going to get me anyway? You get me first, Lord. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Ladies, how many of us are on a journey that just feels like it's too much? How many of you are sitting under your own broom tree? Oh, let's take me now, Lord, why? <laughs> the bread and the water, like when Elijah opened his eyes, the bread and the water was there for him. But he had to physically get himself up and eat and drink of it. The manna was physically, it was there for them, but they had to physically get up and get out of their tent and get, gather the manna. And so for us... The call is the same. The bread and the water for us, it's there. We need to physically get up and eat and drink because the journey for us is sometimes too much. In John chapter 4, Jesus approached a Samaritan woman. And he said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you what? Living water. Jesus is the source of living water. Get up and drink. In Luke 10, Martha and Mary, there's a story of two sisters. Now, Martha is a Jew. They're both Jewish ladies, and there's a the Jewish command. When they turn 12, there's a bat mitzvah for them. They have to learn the Jewish commands for a woman, and the Jewish command is anything in the house is your domain, right? And so Martha is doing the very thing she was taught to do. She was doing the right thing. She was bringing in Jesus and the disciples. She was being hospitable. She was cooking for them. And she's like frantically, you know, whisking the whatever. The man, I don't know. She was making the food, right? And she's running around crazy. And what's her sister doing? Sitting at Jesus's feet. And she's like, are you kidding me, Mary? Are you kidding me right now? And she turns to Jesus and she says, can you tell her to help me? And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious about so many things. You're distracted. Mary has chosen the, the better thing, and it will not be taken from her. In other translations, it says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. One thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. We learned a few weeks ago that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the source of living water. He is the bread of life, right? 
abiding in Jesus is coming to him. He said, all who are thirsty, all who are weary, come to me, right? He is the source of living water. Sit at his feet, drink from the living water of Jesus. We have the bread of life right here, ladies. Eat of the bread of life. Don't just take the 132th morsel that I'm giving you. Don't just come on a Sunday and take the itty-bitty fractions, the crumbs that are falling off from the study that Mark or whoever is teaching you. There's so much more. John who wrote the gospel, at the very, the very last thing he said was, if I recorded everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the whole world. Right? There's so much more. Eat and drink from Jesus. Get up. Get up. If you are stuck and you, are, you can't move, just get up. You just got to move one step in the direction of Jesus. Eat and drink from the Lord, abiding in him will naturally cause you to press into the Holy Spirit. Because when we abide in Jesus, what ends up happening is that God is going to bring to you the things that he wants you to say yes to. Not saying yes to all the things, ladies. We're so good at that. I'm so good at saying yes to all the things, right? But if you abide in him, he's going to start bringing to you the things that he wants you to say yes to. And he knows that those things are way too big for you. And it's those things where you're like, oh, I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to get through this. And so naturally you press into the Holy Spirit and you learn to trust the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that brings fruition. In Zechariah, it says that you will see it's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit that the second temple will be built. And the same is true for us, lady. It's not by our own might, our own power. It's by the spirit that is working in us that is going to bring things to fruition. And that is how your light is going to burn bright. And that's how the fruit of the spirit is going to naturally come out of you. And all that is going to bring glory to our Father. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much. And I just ask, Father, for your spirit to pour out in a mighty way, Lord. I pray for your spirit to pour out that you would draw us. We can't do anything, Lord, without you first calling us. And so I ask that your spirit will draw us into your presence. Give us a hunger and a thirst like no other for your word and for your living water. And I pray, Father, that as we do, we will naturally see the things that are occupying our mind and and taking up space in our mind and making us worried, those things will just fall away as we seek first your kingdom. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.